Summer is officially here. For me, it's, it's June, so I, like, for me, in my mind at least, like, it's officially summer because it's June. Even though it's starting to get warm earlier, now it's really summer. So I don't know if that's the way you are, but that's the way my brain thinks. So happy summer, everybody. We're going to, before we even jump into the Word, um, we've got a lot we need to cover this morning. So uh, I'm going to have us um, just look at, honestly, a whole slew of verses here um, that hopefully will make sense as we continue on this morning. Um, my first job, everybody remember their first job? The first thing, I'm not talking about like where you work for your dad, unless your dad owned his own business. I mean, where like you, you genuinely you know, went out and got gainful employment. My first job, I was uh, about 14, 15 years old, um, just before I turned 15, I think. Uh, we had moved to the island of Guam. Raise your hand if you actually know really where Guam is. All right, it's a tiny little coral heap of an island in the uh, Pacific Ocean. And uh, yes, it's America. It's one of our territories. Uh, it's, you know, one of those places that we tax but don't let them be represented. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. No one's ever rebelled against that at all. Um, anyways, so it's one of our territories. And uh, my dad moved us there and got me a job working on a boat. Now, that sounds really manly when you say, I worked on a boat. Except this was a boat that... Pr- that I say primarily, actually completely and only, uh, was a tourist boat like Gilligan. We did literally three-hour tours of the island uh, with all Korean tourists. So that a day for me pretty much consisted I got paid in 1990, whatever that was, early 90s, mid-90s, I got paid like $23 an hour. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty rad. Um, trying to figure out why I quit right now. Um, anyway, so it was on, on the boat. We would, we'd get there right before the sun came up. We worked five to six days a week, you get there right before the sun came up in, in this gorgeous harbor that movies have been filmed in with beautiful, you know, blue water, crystal clear, that goes out into this deep cobalt. It was just horribly miserable, just this beautiful view that postcards are made from. And uh, we would fill jet skis, up, jet skis up with gas. We would load the boat up with the most delicious Korean food you've ever had. And we would then pile in four to 40 Korean tourists, go out in the boat, uh, snorkel through the water, we'd be lifeguards, which pretty much just meant we watched gorgeous fish swim around in the ocean. We would then put on a jet ski show for them where I learned how to barrel roll, dive, backflip a jet ski. And uh, then we would feed them and we would troll back in. As we would go back in, we would troll fish for uh, yellowfin tuna and ahi. We'd usually catch one to five, throw them on the deck, slice them open, and eat it all raw. Seriously, can anybody figure out why I quit this job? Um, I should still be on the island doing this right now. Um, that was my job. The one part I left out, though, I forgot, skipped over. Um, the jet ski part, really cool. It was super fun. Got to ride a jet ski, get paid to ride a jet ski, right? Well, the part where I think I earned the entirety of my pay there was after we put on the show, we had to drive up to, back up to the boat and take one of these lovely Korean tourists that if they knew English, they knew lines from inappropriate American movies, and we put them on the front of the jet ski, we slid ourselves back and let them drive the jet ski in the open ocean. It was awesome. Um, they didn't speak English. We didn't speak, I don't speak Korean. I don't know if you don't know that. I don't speak Korean. I barely speak English. And, um, and we would do this. And inevitably, here's what would happen. They would not kind of comprehend. Most of them, if not all of them, it was the first time they've ever been on a watercraft. And if you've ever been on a watercraft for the first time, you discover something extremely interesting the first moment you get on a boat. There are no brakes on a boat. 
There's no way to slow down and stop instantaneously, right? And so what would inevitably happen is they would floor it because you don't, I mean, it's a throttle. You put it all the way down, right? I'll agree to this. Like you get in a bug, you, and they've seen us do all these cool tricks. So they would try to do these tricks. And the first thing that they would try to do always was the 360 spin. So this is the way they thought you did that in their mind. You floored it, you got going as fast as you possibly could, and then you took the handlebars and you turned them real hard. Anybody guess what happened every time? You went flying 40 to 80 yards into what felt like concrete water slammed down because you were driving as fast as you could. And in that moment, I learned something very important, that turns need to be taken carefully, right? When you make a turn, when you make a hard turn, it's easy to lose uh, control, it's easy to get lost, it's easy to fly off of that which is propelling you forward. I bring all this up to say this, we're gonna make a pretty hard turn this morning in this passage that we've been looking at and I wanna make sure we're all together on this. So we're gonna do mostly a review this morning of this series. So if you're first time with us or if you've, you've missed a couple weeks, we're gonna review very quickly kind of what it is that we've been looking at as a church in the series that we're on. So before we really jump in, I wanna just read some uh, some verses together. So uh, these are just going to all be up on the screen. You can just kind of look up there and, and follow along. This is uh, Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 4.19 says, my little children for whom I am again in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Everybody say in you. Ephesians uh, 3, uh, 14 through 17. It says, for this reason I bow my knee before the Father, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love. 1 John 3, verse 24, it says, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. Please hear that if you are flipping super fast through your Bibles or if you're following along with the little technology thing, highlight that. Abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Starting to get a picture of what we're gonna be talking about today. First John uh, 4, 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And last, certainly not least, we've got Luke 18, 27. It says, and he, this is Jesus, said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. I'm gonna read that one more time. What is impossible with man is possible with God. Let's pray, and then we're gonna jump in this morning. Holy Spirit, we thank you for giving us your word. And I thank you that you did not leave us as orphans in this world. You did not leave us as um, just wandering sojourners, though, God, we may some days feel lost, though we may some days feel confused. And while we know that's part of the journey, God, we know that you are with us, your presence abides with us, that you have promised to never leave us, to never forsake us. And one of the very powerful, very tangible, very real ways that you never leave us is you have given us your word. And so this morning, God, we ask that you take this written word, the, the Bible, the, these 66 books 
that you would breathe life upon them through your spirit, and that we would not come to them simply for themselves, but we would come to them to hear your still small voice within them as you make them come alive to us. Deliver your word to our hearts. Help us to apply your word and do it. Help us hear it, receive it, and live it. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. So we are in the midst of a series um, called Further Up and Further In. It's a line stolen from one of my favorite authors, uh, C.S. Lewis, speaking about the kingdom as the, the people in Narnia move into the kingdom of Aslan, which is a picture of the kingdom of God. There's this compelling urge within them that is spoken of to go further up and further into the kingdom. We kind of are, are taking our lead from this from um, Hebrews chapter 6, 1 through 3. We're going to look at a lot of Bible today, so I hope you love the Bible. Hebrews uh, 6, 1 through 3 says, uh, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrines of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God. And of instructions about washing, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. What the writer of Hebrews here is saying is this, that he's just taken about a chapter and a half to really unpack the reality of what Jesus did, that Jesus, as God, came to earth and redeemed and reconciled a people back to God. He did not do this from a distance, but he did this very viscerally and very, uh, um, by getting his hands, come on somebody, on us, his people that he came to redeem his people back to him, that while we are sinners and while we have fallen, while all have fallen short of the glory of God and all have sinned, Jesus was not willing to leave us in that state and came and brought us back to him. Come on, somebody. He redeemed us. He reconciled us. This is the message of the gospel. And what Paul here, oh, I believe Paul wrote Hebrews for the three theologians in the room who are like, Paul, um, the writer of Hebrews here is, is trying to show us is this. He's saying, look, there's all of this truth and all of this reality, but what you need to understand is the gospel is more and has ramifications beyond just that. Let me put it this way. That a house is more than just the door. That entering into a kingdom is more than just the border crossing. Come on, somebody. That, that we, are, we have been entered into the kingdom. We've been, we've been accepted in the gospel. And that what we are called to now do is explore the ramifications of that. Let me just put it bluntly. You are redeemed for more than just your redemption. You hear me this morning? Anybody awake this morning? That you being redeemed was not the sole purpose of you being redeemed. That you being forgiven of your sin was not the only reason that you were saved. That not only were you not only redeemed so that you could be forgiven of your sin, you were redeemed so that you could be freed from your sin. We've talked about this. The grace of God does not simply forgive us, it frees us. There is not two graces in God, there is one grace. And that grace that is delivered to us does not um, cause us to remain in sin, but it obligates us to live free through the very power of God, Amen. So we see this, what can need us to see is this, you weren't just redeemed so that you were forgiven and free, there's even more. Come on, somebody. And our goal through this series is to go further up, further in, to explore as fully as possible the ramifications of the gospel in our lives. What does it mean now that we've been ransomed? What does it mean now that we've been reconciled? What does it mean now that we have been brought near and brought back into the family of God. 
So what we've decided to do is look at this passage, John chapter 15, where Jesus tells us the, the parable uses the metaphor of the vine, the vine dresser, and the branches. Let's read this. This is John 15, verse, we're going to read 1 through 11. Here he says, I am the vine, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. The understanding, teaching, doctrine, whatever you want to call it, whatever word you like, of our union with Christ, in my opinion, and I would include myself in this uh, judgment, is one of the least taught things in the church. We don't hear a lot about it. It's kind of skirted around. It's kind of generally, vaguely kind of mentioned, but rarely do we really take the time to really look at what it means. And that's sad because really everything kind of finds its origin in this doctrine, in this teaching, in this understanding. The, the entirety of our kind of life in God is because we have been made one with Jesus. So we've been looking at this. Vine, vine dresser, branches. Jesus is the vine. He's our source. He's our, our source for life. He's, he is that which, which empowers us, which gives us life. Our union, our uniting, our coming together with him is what enables us to be that which he has called us to be. Everything flows out of Jesus because it's all about Jesus. There we go. You guys are getting good. Okay, so we, we understand this. We have, a, we have an understanding and a working kind of grasp of this idea that he is the vine. And as branches, which is our role in this metaphor, is that we are called to abide in him, to stay in him, to plug into him, to rest in him, to be in him. Jesus then introduces the vine dresser. We've talked about this for the last few weeks. The vine dresser is an interesting piece to this metaphor because the vine dresser abides outside the union for the sake of the union. I'm going to say that again. The vine dresser abides outside the union for the sake of the union. The vine dresser's role is to cut and to cultivate, to destroy and to discipline. That as the vine dresser, he cuts away the lifeless and he cultivates the living. That his work in our life is one of pruning away, cutting away, and maximizing that which the vine is attempting to produce through us. Are you with me this morning? I know I'm moving fast. We've been over this already, though. Pruning's interesting. My wife and I are in the process of buying a house, and 
there's, you know, plants and vegetation and crap in the backyard. And the house has been empty for about a year. And because of that, some of these plants are looking kind of funky, right? They're not pretty anymore. You could tell that at one point it was a very well-kept, well, nice kind of lawn with beautiful trees and things. But now they're just kind of going buck everywhere. Like just everything's just all over the place. Trying to walk to certain parts in the yard and you smack your person falling behind you with a branch because you're moving stuff out of the way, right? See, there is a process where when we are left to ourselves, come on somebody, things go bad. I think scripture was very, very true when it said it is not good for man to be alone. When we just abide with ourselves, things go bad. And there is this external working that God is attempting to have in our life. See, we want to say stuff like, I hear this a lot, especially from young college students, if you're one of them, I love you, but just, well, you know, like, I mean, I kind of did the church thing when I was younger, but now I'm just realizing that it's just me and Jesus, and that's all I need. Cool story, bro. That's not in the Bible. We're called to be a part of a community of faith, right? That God works, yes, he works internally. Here's the problem. That's true. God works internally in you, right? So there's always this evidence of, well, if, you're, if you are redeemed, reconciled, connected to the vine, then you have the flowing life of God within you, but there's no pruning happening in your life. Those are external things. And the Father's work as the vine dresser is external. Through things like hearing preaching, through studying the word, who ha- having relationships with other believers and, and allowing God to work externally in our life. Look, if you're not connected to the vine, hear me, please hear me, none of that matters. It's, it, does, it does a dead, lifeless branch no good to prune it. I'm just going to cut it. it nothing's going to happen. I'm not, I'm not diminishing the great value and importance of abiding in the vine. But Jesus, talk to him about it, said there's another element here that is needed for us to bear much fruit. You can bear some fruit by just abiding, but if you want to bear much fruit, there's the need to accept the work of the vine dresser in pruning. So we looked at this. The other aspect of the vine dresser is he cuts away the lifeless, those who, who appear to be disciples but are not disciples. And that can be scary in one sense to us if we're really honest with ourselves and we can get nervous and worried, but ultimately I take great peace in that knowing that, you know what, God is in control. Hello, somebody. God is, the, the Father is overseeing the vineyard, and if things need to get cut out, they'll get cut out. I don't got to freak out and worry about some weird thing happening over there that, you know, my God is fully and totally sovereignly in control, and if that needs to get dealt with, baby, believe me, he will deal with it. We have seen that if you have hung around the zoo of the Christian world for very long, where God pulls things out and says, you know what, no longer. While that can be scary, we need to take rest and assurance in the fact that our God is sovereign and good. And he will take care of those things. And we can rest in that globally. We can rest in that in our life as things come to us and hit us in situations, circumstances, hard, real things that really change us, that really affect us. We can stop and say, you know what? My vine dresser is a good vine dresser and nothing comes at me that he does not allow. So we rest in that. So as the branch, we abide in the vine and we accept the work of the vine dresser while remaining in the vine. We don't allow the, the, the turmoil, the struggle, the, the, 
the pruning of the vine dresser to cause us to want to uproot ourselves and run away from the vine. We stay abiding. The, the constant commandment in these verses is to abide, stay. So here's the big kind of understanding that we had as we've looked through this, that the calling and mandate from the Lord on the life of the, uh, of the believer are impossible. Our only hope is to totally and completely unite with Jesus until we are fully hidden in him so that his perfection engulfs so thoroughly our imperfection that we stand clean in him and he stands glorified in us. Union with Christ is the union where, where we are so completely in him that he becomes completely within us. Amen? So what we want to look at this morning kind of shift that I want to take us in. That's where we've been. We've seen that. We've, we've looked at that. I think we're all together on that. We're in verse four at this point. Abide in me and I in you. There is a two-way street here that we need to understand. That Christ has called us to abide in him. We've hammered that. Do I need to keep going or can we move on? hoping we can move on. I know you're all intelligent. Now we need to see that there's another piece that according to Jesus in this verse is necessary for the fulfillment of the calling and mandate upon us as believers. That calling and mandate is to glorify God through the bearing of fruit and a life filled with joy. Amen? Is that what it says in, in John 15? We bear fruit, he becomes glorified, we get really, really happy. And he says, look, you, you, need to allow, you need to abide in me, but I need to abide in me, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Next verse here says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. There is a need to not only abide in Christ, but to allow Jesus to abide in you. See, in, in our abiding in him, we are changed. We are transformed as we rest and abide in the grace and power of Jesus. As he abides in us, that, that, that transforming, changing power that has altered who we are begins to alter the world that we find ourselves in through us. And you are not just called to abide in Christ. Christ was called to abide in you. Jesus desires to take up residence within your life. Without both, the fruit that you are called to bear will not happen. I don't know another more blunt way to say that. There are things that you are called to accomplish that if you do not allow Christ access to your life, they will never happen. I need us to get this because I feel like this is not sticking. In the same real, practical, can I use the word visceral way that you are called to abide in Christ. I don't try to earn or work out or make myself somehow better and acceptable to Jesus. That ship sailed a long time ago. I have completely failed that test. So now my only hope is to abide and rest in Christ knowing that his completed work is the only hope that I have. 
fact that he is good and gracious and has come to me with his good graciousness and he is faithful to me is the only hope I have, so I just rest in that. I stay put. I don't move past it. Well, we'll I'll try to. Or I'll, it, it's a visceral, real thing. This is not some pie-in-the-sky, heady kind of theological thing. Jesus has called us to rest in him, really. Not just mentally, but really rest in him. In that same way, he desires to abide and reside in you, really, really, really. Not just fuzzy, not just out there somewhere. Jesus wants to go wherever you go through you. None of you are excited. This is awesome. Okay, we need more Bible. Um, first, uh, or Colossians, rather, 1, 27 through 28. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles, that's just a big fancy Bible word for people who don't know Jesus, uh, the people that, all people who weren't Jews were called Gentiles, became used in the New Testament as a term to reflect those who were not previously considered the people of God. Anybody put themselves in that category? <laughs> So he, he chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. What mystery? Which is Christ in you. Christ in you. That is the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. You see both here? Christ is in you, you are in Christ. Let me, let me put it this way. Um, I, don't have, I don't own any power tools, so I couldn't actually get a power tool for this, but the theater of the mind. Imagine. Um, we've all seen power tools, right? I hope. And nowadays, we, we use this new kind of power tools with the batteries that plug into the bottom. But old school, we used power cords, right? We used stuff had to plug into the wall. And here's the kind of picture that I think we're, that, that the Lord's trying to give us here is this, that like a, a power drill, we are called to abide in Christ. Christ here, again, this is a metaphor. Please don't push this too far. It's like the power outlet. We're called to abide in him. That, that, that drill is going to do nothing by itself. Unplugged, the drill is pretty much only useful that thrown at your sibling, right? It doesn't do, its intended purpose cannot be fulfilled, Right? But you plug it into the wall, it needs to abide, it needs to reside, it needs to rest in an outlet. Without resting in the outlet, it can do nothing other than be thrown at someone. It has no purpose ultimately without abiding, without residing, without being plugged in. Like us, without being plugged into Jesus, there is no hope for the fulfillment of the calling and mandate that is on our life from the Lord. Amen? So... There's that element of it. You need to be in Christ. But also Christ needs to be in you. If you don't actually activate the power, what good is the power that is accessible to you? That power, not only do you need to rest in the power, the power needs to flow and rest within you so that the ability, the, the thing, the manifestation, the fulfillment of the calling can actually take place. Are you with me this morning? And as you abide in him and his, he abides in you, and let me just make sure that we're clear on this, you cannot separate the power and the person of God. I'm gonna say that again really clear because our name attracts people that I love. 
you can't separate God's power and activity on the earth from his person. Who Jesus is is infinitely, totally, eternally united with who he is and what he does. They're together. Jesus is not schizophrenic. God is not bipolar. The Holy Spirit is not the Christian force. Isn't that how we talk sometimes? Like I can just feel the Holy Spirit here like he's goosebumps. He's, so, he's God, okay? Let's clear this up right now. The power of God flowing through you is the person of God flowing through you. They're not separate. Well, I'm just really trying to learn how to harness the power of God. That is so ridiculous in what you say when we talk like that. It's literally not funny. You're talking about the God of the universe and you want to learn how to use him? Let's flip that around for a second, okay? We're used by him. His person and his power cannot be separated. So as we abide in him and his power flows through us, that is his person flowing through us. And his character begins to take up residence in us as his power begins to flow through us. Are we together on this? I know this is a turn. I'm trying to take it as slow and gentle as I can. It's my firmly held conviction. Let's make sure that, that Colossians is still on the screen here, just so you can see it and hear what I'm saying is biblical. It's my firmly held conviction that if the understanding that Christ's residing within you does not get you hopeful, if, if your default emotional position when it comes to the outcome of everything is not hope-filled, it's because you don't understand or you have chosen to not believe the truth of this verse. The Bible says that Christ abiding and residing in you is the very hope that we have for his glorification. Without Jesus abiding in you, he cannot be glorified. Not in the way that he desires to be glorified. His abiding in you is that very thing that makes all things possible. Hoping people would actually get excited about this. This is... With man, some things are impossible. Can we all agree with that? Some stuff just can't be done. I know we live in a day and an age where stuff is getting crazy and it seems like nothing is impossible with the crazy stuff that, we're happen- that, you know, that we have access to. But there are limits and impossibilities with man. You have limits. <laughs> we just make this really visceral down where we are gut level here. You have limits. The older you get, the more real your limits will become. <laughs> Some of you call it, I have no limits. I can do anything. No, trust me, get a little older, your back will start hurting. It's awesome. Okay? Like, there are limits that we have. Some of you are thinking, like, Mark, your age has nothing to do with your back hurting. You're just out of shape. You're right. Okay, confession time. There are limits that you have. There are things that you can't do. There, are, there is a limitation to your time, your talent, and your treasure. There are abilities that you do not possess. I have abilities or I have desire for abilities that I don't possess. There are things that I can't do. Not that I don't want to do, I can't do them. I have yet to figure out a way to shoot lasers out of my eyes. I've yet to walk on water. Jesus did it, so I figure I could be able to do it. So yes, every time I go to a pool, first thing I do is like walk out and make sure nobody's looking and try it, okay? <laughs> Tempting. Really cool if it ever happens. I can't do that. For years now of trying, I can, I can 
fully say I can't do it. There are limits. But with God, there is nothing that is impossible. And that God that says nothing is impossible for him, he has no limits, there is no lid on him, there is no limitation, there is no, there is no mark at which he cannot go beyond. He is the God who has all power, all authority, all knowledge, everything. He says, I desire to abide and reside in you. How can somebody, how can a people, let's go back to global here, how can a people who God abides and resides in ever have any default emotional attitude that is not hope-filled? If Christ is in you, nothing is impossible. So but you don't know my, my relational issues that I'm going through with my friend right now. It doesn't matter. Christ in you is the hope of glory. Maybe you don't know the financial limitations I have, yeah, but Christ in you is the hope of glory. Yeah, but you don't know the physical limitations that I have. Yeah, but Christ in you is the hope of glory. Exactly. So we, we've got to understand this, that doom and gloom and misery and, and, oh, things are just horrible is not godly. Does anybody think that the God of the universe is sitting up, enthroned in heaven, surrounded by the heavenly hosts sitting up in heaven right now going, man, things on earth are just, I don't, don't know how this is going to turn around. I didn't know he was going to get elected. How is this ever going to work out? What do you mean they gave health care to everybody? That's horrible. I mean, do you really think God's in heaven going like, oh, you know what? Man, I don't, my church is just not doing so great. I, I, I don't know how the gospel's going to get to the end of the earth. I just... It's just rough. Do we really think that's the attitude of God? Or do we think God's up in heaven fully in control, knowing fully what's going on, that all things are working together for the good of his plan and his purpose, and no limitation, no lack is ever there that stops him from fulfilling his purpose? Do you ever think God goes, you know, I would, but I can't? Well, maybe once my stock portfolio turns around here, then I'll have a better ability to No. Can I just get real for us, those that are part of Sozo here? I don't think our default attitude should be, you know, there's no way we could really preach the gospel to this whole city when this is all the people that we have. With God, nothing is impossible. Our calling is not based off of what we have. Our calling is based off of who has us. And with God, all things are possible. And what we need to see here is this, that in Christ, we are called to bear fruit. And the production of that fruit takes what was once invisible and makes it visible. Do you realize that as you produce fruit, the power of, so, so let's go back to the, the metaphor here of the vine. We abide as branches in the vine, correct? The vine has chosen in its design to produce fruit not of itself, but through the branches that abide in it. Together on this? And as that fruit is produced, the power, the life, the flow of the vine flows through the branch and manifests that which was not visible before into the world. Just stop and think about this. As an apple is produced on an apple tree, that apple didn't exist before. The, the, the makeup for it existed within the tree, right? But becomes visible through the branches. The grapes that are produced from the vine are produced through the branches. The change, let's just get real here. The change that God desires to bring to the world that he puts you in, he desires to bring through you. No one's excited about that. You'll get there, I promise. 
we are called to be that which makes visible the impossible or the invisible kingdom of God in the world that he has called us to. There is a very real, very tangible kingdom of God that he desires to manifest on the earth. And he has chosen, let's get excited about this, you to manifest that through. Branch could just do it by itself. But no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make these branch things and I'm gonna let them be that which produces fruit in the earth. We need to rest in Christ, men. We need to let Christ rest in us. We need to allow the life and power of God to rest and flow through us. So how? We see this in John. We see it in John 15. How does Christ abide in us? We see a picture of it, and we're gonna spend a long time this summer looking at this, okay? This is kind of what we're gonna be looking at through this summer is how this works. But I need you to understand, big picture here, predominantly the primary means of which the power of God flows through us and is active in us, the, the primary way that the person of God takes up residence within us is through his word. I know we want some like big, fancy, spiritual thing to kind of grab onto here. We want to sit in a room and hum or something, but the reality is it's pretty visceral. It's this. Here's the interesting thing. John 15 says, if my word abides in you, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, impossible things begin to happen. Paraphrasing a little bit. Ask anything and it'll be done. That word, word, in Greek, there's, there's two primary words for the word, word. Word? <laughs> it's bad. Two words, logos and rhema. A little Greek lesson for you here. Logos means this. It's, it's written down words. And you would think from the way a lot of people preach this, that that's the word that Jesus used there. If my logos abides in you, if my written word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done. It's not the word. The word that Jesus used there was the word rhema. Rhema means a living, active, spoken word. What he's saying is this. If the living, active word that I am speaking to you is being received in you, it will flow through you and impossible stuff's gonna start happening. So let me explain this real fast just so that we're clear on it because I, I, I don't wanna miss this. I don't want us to misunderstand this. I am not diminishing the importance of the written word of God. I think we're pretty clear on how big of a deal the Bible is to us here, right? I had a visitor here a couple weeks ago and the guy came up to me and saying, like, this is a good, good message, good, good service, this was great. Um, you read a lot of Bible in your church. <laughs> well, we believe it, so yeah. There's the process, and I'm not trying to oversimplify this. I'm just trying to help us understand it. This is at least my experiential process and my understanding from what I see in Scripture. You read the written word until you have God speak his word in your heart. Anybody ever experienced that? Anybody else have like a consistent time in, in the word where you, you actually set aside time each day, read your Bible, and you're just reading through, right? You're like reading, you know, I am the vine, you're the branches. My father's the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit takes away a branch. Cool story, bro. Already you are clean because of the word that I've. Already you are clean. Wait, I'm clean? Anybody ever had that experience? You're just kind of chewing through the Bible, and all of a sudden something jumps out of the pages, slaps you across the face, and hops back down there. That's the rhema. That's where the logos becomes rhema. Now, any verse can become rhema at any time when the Holy Spirit decides to pluck it out and push it in your eyeball. 
But that, that's the experience. We read the Logos till it becomes Rhema. Come on, somebody. We read his written word until we hear his still, small voice within it so that that way through our lives and in our lives, that word can take up resonance, take up life, and actually produce something. Primary way is through the word. What we're gonna spend the summer looking at, here, here is preview, is how and what does it produce? How does that work? How is it that as his word abides in us, it begins to change us and transform us? How is it that his word is the very thing that produces something different? I'm super excited about it. I think six of you at least are, and it's gonna be a lot of fun. But let's not miss this. So that's where we're going this summer, but I don't want us to miss this. I don't want us to, to skip over this. Two big things, and these are gonna be really quick. One, because Christ abides in you, you are fundamentally not who you were before he abided, abode in you, resided. Resode? I don't know. We make it very clear because of our big God theology around here that God is amazing and not so much with us. Right? Like, God is good and nobody else gets to be. <laughs> His goodness is so thorough and complete that in comparison to even the best of us, not so much. But what I need us to understand is, yes, this, let's just put it bluntly. We talk a lot about the fact that we're sinners here. Sinners saved by grace. But what I need us to understand is this. You are a sinner. But the very God of the universe has chosen to take up residence within you, and that makes you a son of God. God himself lives within you. And so there is nothing inappropriate, wrong, or sinful about putting your shoulders back, lifting your head up and saying, you know what, I am a son of God. Yes, I'm a sinner, I'm not denying that, I'm not trying to claim I'm perfect, and look, we've got a lot of problems in the church of, of people trying to claim to be stuff that they're not, but I think there's also a, a, a wrong place where the pendulum can swing, where we, we allow the pendulum to move so far where we go, oh, I'm just, I'm just a worm, and I'm, there's nothing good, I'm just, what? yeah, I know there's nothing good in you except the fact that God has chosen up to take residence in you. And God in you, Christ in you, is the hope of glory. There is nothing wrong with the church standing up and saying, you know what, we are children and sons of God. Come on, somebody. God lives in me, and that makes me different than what I used to be. I am not what I used to be. I might not, not be, come on, somebody, what I want to be, but I'm not what I used to be. And his presence within me, his person within me is changing me every day into who he has called me to be. And fruit is being produced in my life, and I am a branch in the vine. I'm not a dead, dry, worthless stick that's used to, its only usefulness is to be burned. I'm a living vine that's usefulness is to produce fruit for the vine dresser to glorify the vine and the vine dresser. And I am going to stand proud of the fact that Jesus in me is the hope of glory. I don't think the church is very attractive to the world, not that we need to be, but I don't think the church is very attractive to the world where it's just, oh, I just suck at life. I'm a horrible sinner. You want to be one too? They already are. Like, there's no message in that. We need us to understand that Christ in us fundamentally changes who we are. I also need us to understand that Christ in us, as we abide in Christ, and we're gonna, we're gonna dive into this super deep through this summer, it's gonna be awesome, don't miss anything. As Christ abides in us, as we are his son, his invisible kingdom becomes visible through our lives 
you better believe that gets really, really, really happy. See, I think there's a problem. We, we, we understand, because we're all believers that are, are mature enough to get that, the joy of the Lord, that he says, I, I, I say all these things that my joy might be in you and that your joy may be full, that our joy cannot be tied to circumstances, right? It's not circumstantial. It's not, well, in this circumstance I have joy and in this circumstance I don't. But the problem is, again, talking about pendulum, misunderstanding, imbalance, improper tension, that we can somehow think that joy is not tied to our experience. Come on, when, when God begins to transform your life, when the, the sin that so easily used to beset you becomes not so easily besetting to you, as you become changed, as you become different, as your life is transformed by his grace, come on, the joy starts to rise up in you. As I realize I am not who I used to be yesterday, I start getting happy. But let me tell you something, when I start seeing not only that fruit produced in me, but that fruit being produced through me, and the world that I find myself in becoming different, that's a source of joy. And there's nothing wrong with it. While, while our joy cannot be tied to circumstances, it also cannot be disconnected from experience. This city needs to be different because this church is here. I just get really blunt. That's where we're going to be exploring this summer. That's what we're going to be looking at is, is this whole idea of his, he, he and his word abiding in us. And what does that produce? What does that mean? How does it do it? I'm excited. I hope you're excited. But ultimately, here's where I want us to end. None of this can happen without staying plugged into the vine. It's why it's the constant drum in this passage. Abide, abide, abide. We start to think that we can change the city without being abiding in him. We are stupid. And we are in for a very, 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 very disappointing journey. Further up and further in does not mean abandoning the gospel. Further up and further in means understanding the ramifications and exploring the ramifications of the gospel. Are we all on the same page this morning? Stand to our feet. I have talked for way long enough. I hope you are excited for this journey. I hope you are um, as excited for what God desires to do through us as I am. And I hope that as we continue to look at this, you'll commit with me to really exploring this and being open to what it is that I believe God wants to show us as his people. Because I believe that what God has called us to as a people is great. I think it's, it's great because he's great, and I think it's great because his desire is to bring his invisible kingdom into a visible realm. And he doesn't do that disconnected from us. He does it through us. Amen? Holy Spirit, we thank you this morning for your word and its activity in our lives and in our hearts. And God, I pray as we now move to a place of responding to this word. God, I pray that you would bring conviction. I pray that you would bring revelation. God, as, as we maybe have fought against this idea, Lord, I pray for those who are here that maybe struggle with the idea that they are your son. God, that you would, you would deliver to our hearts an understanding that 
Our sonship is not based on our performance. It's based on our proximity to you and your proximity to us. That you resting within us is what makes us sons. Lord, as we partake of communion, God, I pray that we would be reminded of the very price that was paid for our sonship and the very real reality of who we are in you. Lord, come and have your way. Come and speak to hearts, change lives. In Jesus' name.